Hi, I'm Tim. I'm in the dining room of my house in Tetra Gully to do this morning's Bible reading. Uh, because of COVID-19, I haven't had a haircut in like three months. But apart from that, I'm pretty good. Thanks for asking. Today's Bible reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Coops, and I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church Modbury. And I'm standing here at Balmoral Reserve in Dernancourt. It's not too far from where I live. And I'm in front of some grapevines here, which, seeing as though we get grape juice from these vines, or vines like these, it seemed an appropriate setting for a talk about the Lord's Supper. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and for time in it today. Father, we pray that we would concentrate on what you have to say to us and you'd apply it to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, my first job out of university was to supervise some electrical construction on a smelting plant. Now, the thing about coming out of uni as an engineer is you don't know anything. You spend about the next four years learning all the practical skills. And the blokes that they wanted me to oversee had flown down or they'd come off work uh, way up in the northwest of Western Australia. So hard blokes, a lot of them, and they were very competent. They knew what they were doing. So there's me, fresh-faced engineer and these bearded, proficient tradesmen. It's not easy. And one night shift, I remember, I was working with one of the electricians and we were trying to sort out a problem on a diesel generator. And we just couldn't solve it. He kept getting electrocuted. We kept having problems, we kept blowing fuses, and somewhere late in the night we ran out of fuses. 
And so we got into this conflict. He thought, and he had all the background and experience, he thought that we could just use a different type. But I felt responsible for the project and I was sure that we couldn't do that. And so we had this impasse and work stopped. Didn't go down well. The next day he put in his complaint and I had to explain myself. And I'm sure that the division that I caused was made clear as the complaint made its way up to the electrical supervisor and across the road to engineering. So the thing is, I thought I'd done the right thing. Uh, you can imagine that when I was told I had a lot to learn and it was heavily implied that I'd handled it badly, I'd probably done more harm than good, it was a bit of a shock. It wasn't what I intended to happen. And I reckon these people at Corinth got a bit of a shock when they read this letter and this part of the letter from the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. They probably felt like they were doing the right thing or at least weren't aware that they were doing the wrong thing as they came to church and they worshipped together in the same place. But in this opening paragraph, Paul is scathing. When they come together in church, they do more harm than good. That's not the purpose of church, is it? Certainly not any church that I'd want to be a part of. So what's going on? Well, Paul comes straight to the point there in verse 18. They might think they're doing the right thing, but what they're doing actually causes division. And it's because, as he says in verse 21, For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers, and as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Well, you'd probably remember, at the Last Supper, Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples. And the Passover was a Jewish festival. It was a Jewish feast to remember God's redeeming of his people from slavery in Egypt. And Jesus used that meal to point to his own death on the cross to redeem us. And he broke bread and he drank wine to give us a way to be reminded of what he did for us on the cross with his body and his blood. Now, when we do the Lord's Supper at Trinity Modbury, it's a simplified version of what Jesus did. We don't eat the whole Passover meal. We eat a little piece of bread and we have a small cup of grape juice. And with the words that are spoken, these are signs. They, they point us to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. It's a reminder of God's promise of forgiveness. But here in Corinth, they're having the full meal, just like Jesus and his disciples did at the Last Supper before Jesus' crucifixion. Now, no problem with that, but some are going ahead and they're eating their fill while others are going hungry. And church is made up of a cross-section of society, so it's likely there's the whole spectrum of people there, the socially elite, right through to the slaves, making up that congregation. So imagine the social elite. They may be arriving there earlier before other people because they don't have the same work obligations as, of, as others. And they're getting stuck into their own meal. Maybe they brought their own sumptuous banquets. They're gorging themselves, and in some cases they're getting drunk and they're leaving others with nothing. And think of the slaves who would have been part of that congregation or part of that church. Like they would normally serve guests at a dinner party, not participate in it. But Jesus' death is the great equaliser, isn't it? He died for everyone who accepts him, regardless of who they are. And so at the Lord's Supper, everyone should be seen as equal and participating together. They're really countercultural. But as a congregation, it seems the Corinthians are struggling to see their unity in Christ. And that's the division 
that Paul talks about when he makes his comment in verse 19. There he says, he doesn't doubt there are differences to show who has God's approval. See, those who went ahead and ate first are probably the wealthy. They felt pretty secure in themselves, probably felt pretty secure in their participation there at church. So there's a sort of social hierarchy that's been smuggled into the church community. But Paul's suggesting that from their behavior, there's a real lack of love. And actually, that's not what you'd expect from people approved by God. And so I think Paul's being a bit sarcastic here, maybe a bit ironic. If you're one of those that are eating and leaving others with nothing, maybe feeling fairly comfortable and fairly comfortable in the Christian identity that you think you've put on, he's saying, well, think again. That's not the mark of somebody who's approved by God. And actually, it despises the church of God. That's verse 22. The church of God is God's people. And this behavior despises them. These are the people that Jesus died and faced God's anger for. Jesus gave up his rights and he suffered a shameful death as he put his people, which is his church, before himself. But the actions of some in the church here in Corinth don't reflect what the supper commemorates. They aren't giving up their own rights for each other. They are putting other people before themselves. And in fact, the people that are left hungry are being shamed by them. There's division and disunity. And Paul explains the seriousness of that from verse 26. He says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. See, when they eat the bread and they drink the wine, and we should note here too that Paul says it's bread and wine. It's not actually Jesus' body. It doesn't magically change substances or anything like that. But when they eat the bread and they drink the wine, they're proclaiming the death of Jesus until he returns. And so what they're actually proclaiming by doing that is the gospel. And we do the same thing today. We're reminded as we participate in the Lord's Supper by God's word, that it's by God's grace that Jesus died for us to bring forgiveness. And the bread and the wine, these are visible signs that point us to God's grace. And it's by the Spirit that we're able to respond in faith to that grace. And the gospel doesn't care about human distinctions. The gospel doesn't care about wealth or status or influence. There's no human hierarchy in the gospel. And so Paul says there in verse 27, this is serious stuff. Don't proclaim Jesus' death for you in an unworthy way because that'll make you guilty of exactly what he died for, our sin. See, the cup of the new covenant in his blood in verse 25, that's the promise that Jesus' death brings forgiveness to anyone who trusts him, which means we're reconciled to God. And it's a promise that's made to all of God's people together until Jesus returns. And that's how God's people are to interact as one people reconciled to God together. And so to shame and ignore some by leaving them hungry is to shame and to ignore Jesus. And ignoring Jesus is sinful. And that's what's happening there in Corinth. So what's got that, what, what does that have to do with us? 
This happened a long time ago after all, and the way we do the Lord's Supper today is not to eat a full meal. And even if we did do that at church, modern Australia, there's genuinely enough to go around. And from the time we spent face to face, it seems like we're a pretty polite bunch. So not likely that anyone would miss out and, and go hungry. The 10 year Modbury Church birthday celebration, there was plenty of food. But it's not so much the problem of the distribution of the food and drink, it's what the unequal distribution of the food and drink shows because it exposes a problem of the heart. So it's not so much about the meal as it is about the manner in which the meal is being eaten. And what the meal at Corinth shows is actually the orientation of their hearts, at least some of them. If they had their hearts fully turned to God, they would have their hearts fully turned to God's people, to each other. It's what 1 John 4 verse 11 describes as love, where it says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And that's what Paul is warning about here. It's a serious issue if you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes by taking the Lord's Supper, but you're divided amongst each other. We mustn't proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, which is to proclaim the reconciliation that Jesus brings between us and God if we're not ready to reconcile ourselves with God's own people. I knew of a minister once who was aware of people in his congregation who were at odds with each other, and he spoke to them before the Lord's Supper one week, and he suggested that if they couldn't make efforts to reconcile, they probably shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. And I think that's right. And that's why Paul says there in verse 28, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. See, we're to examine our own hearts and consider the body, that is Christ's people who make up the church, before we take the supper. Are our hearts prepared? Are we repentant and turned toward God and so toward each other before we proclaim God's reconciliation with us? If we have an issue with someone, then we need to take steps to reconcile. And I spoke to that a couple of weeks ago when I spoke about the sixth commandment about anger and reconciliation. And the message here is, is much the same. Reconciliation takes both parties, but forgiveness is something we can control ourselves. And reconciliation starts with forgiveness. And forgiveness starts with us. It's not easy, as I said a couple of weeks ago, to give up the right to feel wrong, which is what forgiveness is, is not easy. But by resting in the forgiveness that Jesus brings us and contrasting that, contrasting what we have in that and what we've been given through faith against what someone may have done to us, it is possible. It may not be overnight and it may take time, but if you ask Jesus, he will give you the strength to do it. Well, that's the more obvious issue of conflict, but what about other ways that we might create division in the body, even if perhaps we don't know it? Now, we were only with you guys for about five weeks before COVID hit, so I don't know, but how, how do we gather together after church, for example, after the service? Is it generally with people who are like ourselves? It's human nature to do that. People we find easy to spend time with are the ones that we tend to gravitate to. In a similar way, hospitality, having people 
into our homes. It's the natural and easy thing to have people over that we find it easy to be around. Um, they might be in the same stage of life, they may have kids around the same age, they may have no kids, they may have the same sort of interests as us or the same level of education. But whatever it is, it is likely that the sort of person I'm going to extend friendship to will be the person who's similar to me. It's not intentional, it's just sort of how we drift. But it is division, even if we don't see it. And notice there in verse 29, it refers to the body of Christ, which is in the singular. It's not bodies, but body. There's one, together. We're supposed to be in relationship with each other. And if we're intentional in how we relate to each other, we build up the body. Now just practically asking questions about people's backgrounds often helps to not only to get to know people, but to find ways to love them as well. And we need to find ways to love each other if we're going to extend friendship to people who are different, but part of the same body. Which makes sense, doesn't it? We might not choose each other, but God has chosen to put us together. And these are the people that we'll spend eternity with. And finally, we should know, uh, note Paul's advice to the Corinthians there in verse 31 as good advice for us too. We must discern ourselves, look inside ourselves and put things right before we take the Lord's Supper. No point proclaiming something we aren't living out as true. But as followers of Jesus, don't we proclaim his death until he returns all the time anyway? That's the definition really of who we are. So actually there's nothing stopping us from pausing and reflecting at any time, not just before the Lord's Supper. Reflecting about the state of our hearts. Are we turned towards God and as a result, turned to God's people? And it's a good time now actually to think about that because as we start to look forward to coming out of the pandemic and back together at some point in the foreseeable future, the economic and social impact of people or to people will become clearer. And both socially and economically, as we start to come back together, people are going to have different needs and each of us will have different capabilities to respond to those needs. And we will see the opportunity for unity in the body if we look for it with hearts turned to God and turned to each other. And the most wonderful news is we don't have to do it alone. You see, we proclaim Christ crucified until he returns. That's what the Apostle Paul says here. He is returning. So he is living. He is active. And if we turn to him in faith, he'll change our hearts so that we can be the unified body he intends us to be. So let's make sure that as our circumstances start to change again, we reflect within ourselves and we make sure that going forward, we do turn to him in faith and we present ourselves to God as a body united together in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus and for what he did on the cross. Please, Father, help us to be strengthened in faith, to turn our hearts fully to you and fully to each other. Father, help us to be unified in all the things that we do, that we would look for opportunities to build up the body, and Father, that we would glorify you in everything that we do. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.